So, hey, everybody, Hi, and welcome. Hello. What are you doing? I'm taking over. I, that's what I thought you were doing. This is my podcast. <laughs> no. The last time I try and sneak into the office to record some podcast episodes. Hello, so, everybody. hey, everybody, and welcome back into the Direct Selling Accelerator podcast. Now, this episode has been in the works for a little while where my amazing wife and normal host of our podcast is here with me today (laughs) and we're going to ask each other some questions. Now, these questions, just to clarify, I have we haven't told each other what we're asking and there really are no parameters. Like some of these are going to be technology-based, some social media-based, some business-based and probably some won't be any of those things. Exactly, but we have the recording forever <laughs> after to refer back to to assist ourselves. All right, I'm a little bit worried <laughs> about what you've come up with here. So who gets to ask the first question? So, Sam, I want you to describe your ultimate birthday to me. Is it, Oh, this is not serious. That's your first question. Seriously? Yes. Oh, my gosh. Actually? Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> So, like we said, this episode could go anywhere. I don't know when we're going to air this. It may be at the end of this year, but we like to have a couple of fun episodes throughout the year. So, (laughs) apparently, this is going to be it. You have totally thrown me off because I thought through these clever questions for you. Uh, Good. This is what happens when I allow my husband to be a part of the podcast. Okay. What would be... What was the question? Describe your ultimate birthday to me. Does it like, is it like a special birthday or just like a normal birthday? Let's say your 40th birthday. (laughs) So you're cheating right now because you don't know what to do for my 40th. No, no, I'm just just gaining Uh information. Well, we would go to Hawaii Mm -hmm. and uh, and you would bring the whole family, uh, all of our friends, and um, we would be drinking cocktails in the sun on the beach or by the pool. And that would be my ultimate birthday. I deserve that answer. Yes, you did. <laughs> so, when are, you, are you, when are we booking? <laughs> All right. Greg, I'm going to ask you a serious question. Oh, no. I actually want to know, because this is a social media podcast for direct sellers. Now, I kind of know the answer to this, but I want you to explain it. I want to know, what is your favourite social media platform and why? Well, that's really interesting. So my favourite platform is Facebook, but actually I kind of like them all and I love the competition that they bring to each other because they're stepping up their game. And I love seeing how sometimes they slightly overstep the mark and then they get called into account and things like mental health get taken care of and stuff like that. So, yes, I love Facebook and I think it is just such a powerful, powerful platform. So what do you mean by mental health gets taken care of, et cetera? I think I know what you mean. Well, yeah, actually, maybe I should explain that. So, Mm -hmm. you know, there were some things where um, where people, so, so responses to stuff like likes, loves, and the way that people responded on social media, the way that the platforms encouraged people to respond, and the kind of posts, sometimes posts that were negative were getting favored. Sometimes the kind of things that brought out dopamine in people but weren't necessarily so healthy, were still getting favoured because it got results. But by being able to have multiple platforms to choose from and competition and calling each other out, that kind of behaviour kind of gets checked in. So I love that there's competition, but I do love Facebook. 
So why specifically Facebook? Why do you love Facebook? Because I know that you don't spend a lot of time on Instagram or the other platforms. I know that like LinkedIn, for example, like you, I mean, I love a lot of these platforms for various different reasons and for different purposes, but I know that you tend to gravitate back towards Facebook. And I, I guess my curiosity from a business perspective is why you feel Facebook is the best one for business growth. So I guess when you're looking at TikTok and Instagram, they're really cool for entertainment, but they don't have as strong a tool for business focus. Now, I do spend a lot of time with different technical platforms. There are so, so many technical platforms. So for me, it's about a balance of, I'm I'm a weird one. I like entertainment, but I like to be educated at the same time. Mm -hmm. I like to learn stuff and I like it in bite-sized pieces. I don't want to go and watch something that's 10 hours long to learn something but I love learning little five-minute things about this and that. And next thing you know, you've still spent an hour doing it anyway. Okay. Fair call. All right. Mm. Your turn. All right. Really? So <laughs> what's so you're a wife. You're I, a, yes, I am. <laughs> yes. You're a mum. Yes. You're a businesswoman. Yes. And you're amazing at all of those. What's your secret? What's my secret? Yep. yep. Uh, so people, you- <laughs> people look at you and they look at how you show up and they just go, Wow. And that is completely unattainable. That's what a lot of people think. So I want to know what you think. You know what's is. hilarious about this? And you know that uh, about six or seven years ago, I got really cranky because I had a few people say to me things like, you're a super mom. How do you do it? How do you balance everything? And, you know, in the the this was like five minutes after I'd finished crying in the corner or something. And I'm thinking, why do you think I've got it all together? And I wrote a blog. I need, I should go find that blog and revamp it, like, you know, bring it back out for you guys. But I wrote a blog that day. I actually sat down, had a real creative moment. I don't get to spend much time doing that these days, but it was one of those moments where I sat down and I wrote out this blog post and I titled it How to Become a Supermom or How to Be a Supermom in Seven Easy Steps. And essentially what I did was I totally shared all of my failings in this, in a funny way in this blog post. And, you know, the thing is, I definitely do not see myself as being someone who's got it all together. And Honestly, I get frustrated when we look at other women, particularly women, and we do this to ourselves because what we're doing is we're looking at someone, um, you, you, it's like you're looking at a portion of someone's life. You're looking at a part of someone's life without seeing the rest of it and making an assumption that they're doing better than you are and then you're tearing yourself down for it. Um, you know, let's just go through each of those three things for a second <laughs> because each of them are such mass. Oh, I'm going to add another thing in too. I'm going to add in self, um, as well, because you've got, you just talked about being a mum. You talked about being a wife and you talked about being a businesswoman, but I want to talk about as well, the relationship with self, because that's probably been the one that I would say over the last two to three years has had to become a major focus because I realized, and I think you've probably had a bit of this journey going on as well, Greg, but this has been um, something I realized was an area that I had completely ignored and the other three areas were suffering because of it. And so let's just talk about business for a second. You know, when I first went into being in business, I decided to step into entrepreneurship and I did it by myself. It was the scariest thing I could have ever done. And it was also probably um, the hardest thing I've ever done. It was harder than being a mum. It was harder than being a wife in, in different ways because it was something that 
I think a lot of people step into being in business thinking it will be simple um, and that it won't impact everything else. When in actual fact, it's like birthing another baby, but without having any support, often people who are against what you're doing. So did you have support? Did I support you? No, you didn't. No, and, I didn't. And you were quite open about that when we've talked about this story many times. Like you I've were been really open. Sorry, that's not fair. You were supportive because you supported the decisions I made, but you weren't, you were openly not encouraging it. So you basically said, I love you and I'll support you, whatever you want to do, but I don't think you should do this and I don't agree that you should be doing it. So it was kind of like a bit of a do it if you have to, but this is a bad idea. Would that be a fair way of describing pretty, it? Pretty close, yeah. close enough. <laughs> so, you know, going into business is hard. And then I think the other thing with that too is I put a lot of pressure on myself because I think particularly on women, and we've talked about this quite a bit just between us recently, there's this real challenge between being a mum and being in business. And there's this group, the two different groups of mums here, and it's something that because I'm now officially nine months pregnant this week, it's been a real uh, eye-opener for me to realise that because this is actually the first pregnancy I've had where I have worked at that uh, how to and that and given myself permission and you've given me that permission to step away from work for a period of time. And it's interesting because I realised that you've got two different camps of women. You've got the camp of women who say, um, you know, I'm, I'm a mum and that's my job and I'm going to take pride in that. But then you've got another group of women who think that that making that choice um, means that they're sacrificing self and career and they don't want to be seen as dependent on anybody else, but they also don't want to be judged for being a stay-at-home mum or spending time at home being a mum because they they rest their self-worth on their career and their success. Would that be a way of explaining that? Yeah, yeah. And I think what then happens is you get this group of people, because that was me, that put this pressure on themselves to get back to work as fast as they can because that defines them. But it also makes them feel a sense of independence that makes them feel worthy and also they, they just don't want, I know for me it was like an, I don't want to be seen as reliant on a man and I know that's a weird thing to say and think, but yet I realised that that was such a big shift that I had to make myself as I went back into this season and thought, hang on a second, it doesn't have to be about that. It actually can be that you can have the best of both worlds. And, you know, it's it's been great being in a relationship where we can, we've been able to kind of navigate that for a period of time. But I do think that well, the very nature of a partnership, we are dependent on each other. There are things that we depend on each other to be in a partnership. Otherwise, we're not. We're two independent people. Mm. So in those moments where we're not prepared to have a little bit of faith in each other and grow together, that can happen. But, you know, something else I've noticed in everything you've said here, Sam, I just want to point out the complication in what you're sharing. So for anybody who feels like, oh, I'm just not good enough in this area, I'm not good enough in that area, there's all these things, it's actually complicated. It's actually quite a thing to juggle. But by chickening out and going back to the only things that we're good at, the things we see we're good at, and chickening out from tackling those other things that are on our heart, that are that are important to us, we actually hold back from showing the full self of ourselves to the world. And I think it's actually really important to grow and develop in this space. Yeah, look, uh, you know, I, I really, if there were any piece of advice I could give to any 
woman listening to this right now, it's please don't, and, and I'm saying this from someone who does this all the time, by the way, so please don't feel like this is me speaking down to you. This is me speaking to you as a friend right now and an equal going, I know what it's like. But please try not to compare yourself to other people because the thing is that everybody has got their challenge that they're going through right now that you can't see. Um, whether that is with relationship, whether it is as a parent, whether that is in business, you know, when one area is doing well, another area is completely challenged. And and, you know, being in business is seriously hard. Being a parent is seriously hard. And being married and in a relationship is seriously hard. And all of those three things have got their own big challenge. But that's where the fourth thing I think is really important. And that is what are you doing for self? You know, that self-love, that self-care. And this is one of the things that we focus very much so on inside of our Rise Up Inner Circle, the group that I mentor a couple of times a week, is what are we doing to fill our own cup? Because, we often, and I think, again, I feel like females are worse at this than men, but we often put ourselves last. We um, martyr ourselves and go, oh, I can't do that for myself until this has happened. I can't spend that time on myself until that's happened. I can't do this until I've taken care of my family. And then we start to become resentful of the things that are stopping us taking care of us but we actually were the one that made that choice. It wasn't, it's not because Greg says, no, Sam, you can't go for a walk until you've cooked everyone dinner. You know, but that's something I do to myself. But then I get resentful at the family because I, I had to come home and cook for you all and do all of this. And I couldn't go for a bath or I couldn't go for a walk or I couldn't read my book. But nobody stopped me doing that but me. So, you know, and I think we can all recognize that we do that sort of thing. But, you know, it's just having that self-awareness to go, hang on a minute. Who's actually stopping me from taking care of me? Is it the people around me or is it actually me? And it's usually us. Yeah, I struggle with that one too, actually. I'm shocking at that. So, <laughs> so actually, this this is a good, uh, a good one here because I want to ask you a question. And since you asked me about, you know, you sort of led to the whole marriage thing, um, I want to ask you a question that I'm very curious to know the answer to here. And that is... Um, What's the hardest thing about working with your wife? Just one. <laughs> <laughs> and now we go into the relationship problems. <laughs> so I think the hardest thing for me is I'll, I'll give you a bit of background about men, I think, but me specifically. So I can compartmentalise stuff really well. So when we're done with work, it's very rare that I can't switch off, put that in a bucket and want to get on with a different aspect of my life. But the hardest part is... That when I go home and I want my wife to come racing to the door and go, oh, my gosh, honey, what an amazing provider you are. I'm so happy to see you. You are wonderful. And wrap her arms around me and give me a big kiss and say, it's so good that you're home. Come and sit down and I will give you physical touch and tell you how amazing you are. Oh, my gosh, are. what wife Whatever. does that? I know, I know. So, but, but, you know, go with me here. Instead, it's just named two major love languages know, right there. If anyone's listening that knows us, they're just giggling in the background because they know Greg. But instead, you've got two people here who tackle big stuff at work. We stretch ourselves within our own capabilities. We have big goals and we try really hard, which means that there's often challenges. So for me, I can switch off to that and I'm ready to switch into another department when I get home, it's still the same work wife. <laughs> so what you're saying is you can switch off and I can't. Yep, yep. That's the biggest challenge. For, for me, that that is the hardest part. So if I frustrate you at work or if you frustrate yourself at work and direct it at me, then I come home to that That and, and managing that. So for me, learning to create space for that, 
learning to provide love for you and actually go through that together and come out learning the other to side. put up with that is what you're no, saying no no because it's not it's not <laughs> Actually, about that a friend of ours explained this we've uh, you know we're big believers in having mentors and coaches always people to stretch you people to challenge you keep you accountable that you really respect and you know the person one of the people that is a really special mentor for us at the moment explained this phenomenon to us in a really clever way and we actually explained this back to our rise up in a circle members a couple of weeks ago and heaps of them just had this massive aha moment and the way that he described this was actually he the way that men uh he was talking about the way that men's brains work and women's brains work and the marbles in the jar phenomenon and it's a really great way of thinking about this because he said that the way that a man thinks is it's like having a jar full of marbles and each marble is its own little thing and you've got a jar of clear marbles. And if there's a problem or something stressful happens at work, it's like you've put a blue marble in the jar and he's able to separate that marble and focus on other marbles at different times. So it might be that you're going camping and you're in the camping marble zone or, you know, you come home and you're in the dinner marble zone. And so you're thinking about other things and you can compartmentalise, you can push that blue marble to the side and come back to it later. For a female, it's like that jar is filled with clear water and when something happens, so you have a rough day at work, it's like you put a drop of food dye in the water and suddenly all the water is blue. So Every area of your life is impacted whilst that food dye is a thing. And so it's that it was just such a, a an eye-opener for both of us to understand finally why it was so easy for Greg to kind of separate and compartmentalise things that might be going on, but for me to really struggle with that and go, no, I can't just pretend everything's okay because it's not because I had a rough day and now everything feels like it's a rough day and it's impacting everything else. I can't. And it really separate. helped when we'd get home and Sam's <laughs> feeling that and I'm like, we're home now. I'm not interested. <laughs> so sometimes we have to remind each other about the blue marble or the blue dye. Mm. It's not that the other person has to put up with that necessarily, but it's more, you know, if Greg gets frustrated, you know, I can decide to him, honey, just remember it's blue dye. And likewise, if, if Greg gets frustrated, he can say, honey, just remember it's a blue marble. In other words, I left that at work or in other words, that's still impacting me. So it's that reminder to each other just to have a little bit of understanding. It's not about the people having to compensate for each other. It's just about having that understanding that, hey, I get that you're wired a little differently to me. And, you know, I'm not suggesting we get this right, but I think having that those those types of understandings, such as the love languages too, and you kind of mentioned a couple of things a moment ago about when you walk through the door, what makes you feel loved? And it's really interesting because you said, first of all, a few things that lead to your core love language, which is words of affirmation. You wanted me to run up to you and tell you, oh, thank you for being such a wonderful provider. You're amazing. I love you, blah, 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 blah. And then you wanted physical touch, which, by the way, is not necessarily a sexual thing, guys. It's, you know, head scratches or a hug or a kiss or a holding of hands or just a hand on the back, any of that stuff to Greg. Is, you were this close. You could have just... I <laughs> <laughs> and all of those things make Greg feel loved. And the interesting thing about this, and one of the things that we learned when we read the five love languages, which, by the way, whether you're in a relationship or not, please read this book by Gary Chapman. It's a game changer for every relationship you have in your life. But um, the thing that we learned was, for me, it stood out that we show love the way we receive it. 
And so you will constantly use those two love languages, which are your core love languages, to try and show me that you love me. But I'm not feeling or receiving love because my core love languages are very different to yours. And in most relationships, that's the case. And so having that understanding was also a really big eye-opener to each of us and, and a way for us to understand each other a little bit better. Um, so, for example, one of the things that I've learned to do is that no matter what, I like to make Sam a cup of coffee in the morning because for her that's an act of service and it's like a little gift, but mostly it's an act of service. And so that's an opportunity for me to say, hey, doesn't matter what's happened, doesn't matter how anybody feels, I'm going to show you that little act of service first thing in the morning to show you that I love you. And I'm going to consistently do that no matter what. I think it's up to you. Oh, that's so cool. So, right. So, you talk about cup filling a lot and I want to know why it even matters because now, mm. now the topic, I mean, we, we sort of get that, but oftentimes we'll have people who talk about, oh, I've got to step back from my business because... My kids need me. My parents yeah. need me. Yep. My, you know, I've got this other responsibility. And so I can't spend any money or any time or any X, any anything. And I need to step away from my business. And you're like, mm, what about your cup? Yeah. Do you know, it's interesting. This is a conversation we have with people a lot where, uh, particularly when we're doing a coaching call, which is something that we do um, sometimes with our, again, our Rise Up in a Circle members. Um, and it's usually around that conversation of, I need to step back from what's important to me in order to prioritize somebody else. And, you know, for me, that sends off alarm bells and red flags. And the reason it's usually for family that we do this. It's usually because we feel a responsibility to partner or to children. And suddenly we uh, feel that um, we're, we're doing the right thing by prioritizing them over us. And I want to challenge that thought process for a moment because this is something that absolutely I've struggled with many, 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 many times. And interestingly, when I do that, when I prioritize somebody else or someone else's um, needs and sacrifice my own, it's it, you can do both simultaneously, by the way. But when I sacrifice what's important to me in order to prioritize what's important to somebody else, it always backfires. And the reason I believe that it backfires is because what you're actually showing that loved one is that they don't matter. And it's a weird thing to think, but I just want to point this out for a second. If I show my kids that prioritizing their need at the, um, uh, and sacrificing my own at the expense of my own needs, what I'm teaching them in actual fact is that their needs are unimportant. And so what happens is my kids learn and they observe that as they grow up and as they become a mom or a wife or a businesswoman, that in order to do the right thing, they need to sacrifice themselves. They become essentially a, a, a martyr in a way. But it I want to illustrate it, Sam. <laughs> so one of the biggest things you'll see is that kids do what you do, not what you say. Mm -hmm. And so this is a perfect example. <laughs> Do you want your kids to be grumpy going through life, going through the, the motions and going through exhausted, not able to share or even have their feelings and just doing what they're supposed to do? Is that a place for your kids to thrive? Is that a place for your kids to enjoy the wonders of life? And is that a place for your grandchildren or your future generations to be born? 
it really isn't. It's a terrible equation. Now, the thing is that we are here. It's not like I take from Sam, Sam then, you know, it's it's not a one-way thing. When we get relationship right, when we get family right, there's actually improvement, there's joy, there's benefit to everybody. So when we give in an expectation that it's just emptying our cup, we've just got to do this, not I get to, not that I get to do something for Sam or I get to do something for the kids, but, oh, I've got to go without Ergan. And you just quietly just squash that down. Don't say a word because I don't. And you go and do what you have to do and you have to do it, not that you get to do it. Then soon enough comes that crunch point. And it's really a poor equation. Whereas if you sit down and you actually work out, all right, I want to do something amazing for Sam. I want to do something amazing for the kids and I want to enjoy it too. When you actually work out that one plus one equals seven and everybody benefits and it's better for everybody then you've got something and it's not only better for them, it's better for you too. And, you know, I'm just going to throw one other thing in here. I think if you really stop and think about this concept of prioritising other people over yourself and not filling your cup first, not putting the, the you know, it, I used to hate, by the way, as a kid, as a small kid, I, I my parents' divorce when I was seven and, they, my mum moved into state. So I had to, every school holidays, I had to hop on a plane. I had that little badge on because I was an unsupervised child. And so I, the air hostesses were looking after me and I used to have to travel every school holidays on the plane backwards and forwards into state to visit my mum. Cause I live with my dad. So I was backwards and forwards all the time. And I did, uh, like, I was like a gold, you know, gold member before gold members were a thing. <laughs> I had racked up that many points through flying. And uh, the the thing was, the thing that I always was challenged by was when they did the safety demonstration and they said, you know, to put the oxygen mask on self first. And I didn't understand why wouldn't you put it on the baby or the child or the person in need first? Why would you do it to yourself first? That's so selfish and it's so wrong. And I realized as I look back that I'd actually learned from my parents that um, being selfish was a really bad thing. But I want to just throw something out there. I've realized it's really hypocritical because I don't know very many people who um, who would encourage their children not to be selfish or would encourage a friend or someone they love not to take care of themselves first, yet what do they do for themselves? And it's like we're doing something very different to what we would teach our children or tell our children to do or our loved ones to do. And I just, for me, it was that, oh, my goodness, you know, I'm saying one thing and I'm completely practising another. And it wasn't until we did a little bit of learning in this space and we realised that, you know, charity starts at home. Being selfish isn't a bad thing. I mean, you can be selfless, that's very different, but it's about taking care of you because you simply cannot be the best. I can't be the best mum I can be, the best wife I can be, the best um, businesswoman that I can be if I'm if I'm pouring from an empty cup, if I'm not looking after myself. And I realized it was actually my responsibility to do things to take care of myself as a priority in order to, number one, show those around me that they're also worth doing that for themselves as well. But number two, being the best version of me for those people. Now, I do want to be careful about who we're speaking to here because nobody who is one of those selfish people truly at heart is going to have even bothered to listen this far. <laughs> so, so it sounds ridiculous, but 
I want to be really clear that the people who have listened to this point are almost certainly people who tend to be so selfless and so giving that they're starving themselves. So this advice, it's not going to go to that narcissist person who really couldn't care less about anybody else. But you know, Sam, and I'm going to, I'm going to point these three fingers here at me and not going to have a trigger to it, but I'm going to (laughs) point these three fingers here at me and be really clear on this. So you know the times when I notice that you're being um, at your most selfish? Yes. It's actually when you're trying not to be. It's when you're trying to be your most selfless and most sacrificial and and whatever like that. And it's actually the time where others can experience me. This is where the three fingers are pointing back at me as my most selfish. And it doesn't matter in that time how hard I'm trying to give and how much I'm sacrificing and how much I think I'm being wonderful and martyring myself. The best version of me is not showing up and my family experienced me as just thinking of myself in that time. Mm. So, Greg, um, we... I, I, Heavy. I know, right? There's, there's, <laughs> these questions could have gone anyway. I, want, I think we should one do more one each? more question each. Yeah, right, your turn. And I, I'm really struggling because there's so many things I want to ask you. I'm, I'm going to ask you... I'm going to ask you this one. Mm. Okay. If you could click your fingers... And become an expert at one new thing, any new thing, what would you choose? Ooh, okay. Okay. Sales or speaking? Oh, interesting. Mm. Okay. Mm, Because it's my quick answer and I haven't got time to think of a brilliant answer and I don't know if it would change. Interesting. Do you know what I think is really interesting about that? What? I think you're already an expert at both of those things. So I feel like I'm really good at helping others with speaking, (laughs) speaking myself medium. So I thought you were going to ask me a different question. I thought you were going to ask me what my superpower was. Well, that was on my list. So um, now that you bring it up, what's your superpower? Well, see, that's that's interesting (laughs) because I can do lots of stuff pretty well and there's, I've got a fair bit of tenacity and I can do nearly anything really well, but there's always that little bit more that I want. And so, I don't know, but there's also a drawback to that. I and mean, you haven't really asked about that. It's it's pretty exhausting but <laughs> and relentless. But I don't know, like I guess. There were a lot of questions on my list, all of which I would have loved to have asked you today, but I feel like we could be here all day in this podcast episode if we did. So we might have to do another episode later on this. Interesting. Yeah, I, I, that's. I want to help people more. It's on my heart to help people more, which is about communication. So the funny thing is about selling, like that's that's something we have to do to share our heart, to share our message. It's something that is actually part of that process. It's something that our tribe really care about. Selling. Yep. Selling. It's actually, something- selling, just, you know, I had an interesting way of explaining to the, this the other day. A lot of people think that selling is is the thing that they hate doing the most and it's the thing that um, is, is like the worst part of being in business. But actually, it's the part where we are most required to do because it's our responsibility. Selling is your responsibility because, in other words, if you're not making available to those people the opportunity or the product or whatever it is that you have, you're not helping people. So we're actually all, we we need to sell. Like it's our responsibility to sell, but we've got to change that mindset a little bit. And to sell well, you need to have the right market and the right product for that market and the ability to deliver it. It's all part of that package. And so my heart is to help people and I love communicating and connecting and actually understanding what they need and providing it. So I guess that's kind of all that. But, you know, I've got my question for you, Sam. Okay, right. So 
Africa. Africa. Oh, okay, yes. So what was the biggest thing, the biggest takeaway, the biggest change in your life, the biggest thing you learned? Because I know Africa's touched your heart and it is a different world over there to mm-hmm. where most of us come from. Yep. What's the biggest takeaway from Africa? What's Africa given you? Can I give you two answers to that? Of course. So, you know, there's two memories that I have of, and, you know, so we went to Africa, what would it be, four, five, four years ago now? Four and a bit years ago. Four and a bit years ago. And uh, we went over to visit a mission that um, is really close and dear to our hearts where essentially um, a school had been built, uh, an orphanage had been built. It's a project that's got a mission to build uh, 20 schools in 10 years and we're all about educating. And so for us it's about, you know, helping to educate people to, you know, to elevate their um, their lifestyle to change, you know, particularly in Africa, it was about the genocide. So, you know, post-genocide, there are, we all know the story of Rwanda and how that's come out, but there are all of these outlying parts of Africa that are not through the genocide yet. They're, they're still experiencing it. And so, you know, education is one of the key ways to help pull those countries out of that situation. And so when we went over, you know, I went over without too much expectation really of what I was going in, into. And we went into quite a dangerous country. It's the, the, um, the poorest country in the world. So Burundi is where we headed to. And there were two things that I noticed. The, the first thing that I noticed was, you know, I went over in, in quite a challenging place personally. You know, we were uh, just in business together, I think, at that point. So we, we just actually, it, that was the, a lot had happened at that time and, and we'd had a really difficult business um, experience. In fact, we the week So we just got married. This was supposed to be our honeymoon, but for some reason we changed it to a missions trip. So we actually felt on our heart to go on a missions trip for our, for honeymoon. our honeymoon. Yep. And a week before we were about to leave, our entire team decided to Which was two people. I had two people that were to, working for me at the time. To go in competition while we went to a country with no phone service. Yeah. So essentially they said, look, hey, we're leaving. We're going to start up a business in competition to you and we're going out in business together. And we understand that without us, you can't run this business. So when you go away to Africa, we'll just take all your clients on. And essentially I had this threat of completely losing my entire business two weeks before we left. Um, and it was a really challenging time. So we won't go into that scenario right now, but that was the time when Greg stepped in and we started to work together and, you know, the rest is history. So the point is I went over in a really difficult place. I, we went over, um, I was still, I was still having to work while we're away because we had to take care of our clients by ourselves. And, um, I, I was struggling and, one of the things I noticed was we went into a country where they had every reason to struggle. They had every reason to be in a bad place mentally, emotionally, spiritually. You know, most of the people, in fact, when we drove, because we went by bus over the border into Burundi, and it was like you went from, it's like you just took this um it was most like a of, time warp. Most of the people we saw had never seen a white person before. They knew that white people existed and they'd never seen one. And so people were following you around everywhere. They were, but the thing that fascinated me was most of these people didn't have a home, let alone a hut to live in. They were sleeping in the dirt on the ground. Many of them were malnourished, had no food. Most of the people, um, 
were not, um, what's the word? Like they weren't, uh, they didn't exist. So they, people are born there without, there's no birth certificates, there's no death certificates. Like there's just no, they, they don't exist. Meaning that they've never seen a photo of themselves. They've never seen their reflection other than in water that they have to walk 10 kilometers to every day. So in theory, they've got all of these reasons to be in a really difficult place mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and be down and depressed and for suicide rates to be high and so on. But something I learned when I met these people was suicide rates are at an all-time low in Burundi compared to most other countries of the world. In fact, the most um, uh, financially ahead countries, the countries that are doing the best financially, are the ones with the highest suicide rates. And I noticed something, and this was probably my biggest takeaway. When we got there, you know, in Australia, we have this space, right? Not so much you because your love language is physical touch, but most people have got this space, which is, this is my personal space. That's your personal space. And we don't cross it unless we give each other permission. In Burundi, there was this understanding amongst people that physical touch is a requirement of human beings. And so, we, one of the first things we noticed was men would walk around holding each other's hands. Everyone was cuddling everybody. The moment we crossed over that border, you had not one but 10 people at any given time with their hands on you, not in a um, an inappropriate way or not in a way that you should be concerned because of theft. It was because to them it was an understanding that human connection is absolutely required physically as much as through any other means. And so you always had someone touching you, a child holding onto your arm, a mum hugging you, uh, someone handing you their baby because physical touch they get is an important part of who we are and what we need. And I noticed these people were just constantly smiling. They were happy. They were, and, and it just, you, you had to stop and think about what do they understand that they have? And for most of them, it was an understanding that they had each other. And I walked away. It was like when we left after a couple of weeks of this, we left and we came home. And I remember landing in Australia and suddenly feeling like I was missing something. I suddenly felt really disconnected. And I realized the reason that I felt this was because the physical touch was gone. And it was, it was something that like I literally didn't go through a day while we were there without people constantly hanging on us. And it, it, it just was such a big reminder that that physical touch, that connection um, is so important. But the other thing, and I know I've got to be really quick with this, I'm sorry, I'm rambling on a bit here, but the other thing that um, for me was a huge takeaway, we did a day where we actually um, did a food handout. And, you know, I won't go into what we did that day. It was, a, it was an incredible um, life-changing day for both of us. But there was a moment where, because, of course, they didn't speak English, we didn't speak Burundian or whatever their language was. Um, there was this woman, she was a, she would have been in, like, she was very, very old. She would have been 80, 90. I don't know, but she was there with her entire family. They'd walked, um, the story we'd been given was that they had walked 10 or so kilometers that day in order to, um, receive this handout of food that was going to last them, their family for a month. And, um, the, this woman walked up to me and, I, I didn't know what she wanted, 
I didn't have my translator there with me. And so we're standing there and I'm thinking, what do I do? Like, what is, what is she after? And I realized in that moment, she just looked at me and there was this moment where she spoke to me through her eyes and I felt this just in my heart, this incredible gratitude and thanks from this woman. And it just brought tears to my eyes. And it was one of the most profound moments I think I've had in my life was in that moment where this woman was able to share her heart with me without words. And it just, it was just one of those moments where I felt so incredibly connected to another human being. And I realized that the smallest of things, the smallest of things that we do, and I don't think it was about the food that w- that she was so grateful for in that moment. It was it was our presence with them in that moment, and it was the fact that we had just given our hearts and our time to be there and spend that day with them. And I just I just realized that sometimes showing up and just being there, like me existing on this earth, sometimes can be enough, even though I don't feel like it is, can be enough to change someone else's life. And it was just in that moment that I went. I'm in the right place at the right time and I've impacted another life. But that life has had a greater impact on me than the impact I thought I was having on them. Isn't that incredible? Now, a lot of people asked us about culture shock and how we dealt with being in the poorest part of the poorest part of the world. And I still tell stories about that to this very day. Mm -hmm. But the thing that really shocked us was not the culture shock going there. That was easy. It was very easy for us to be there. It was a whole lot harder to come home. Yeah, the reverse culture <laughs> shock. Pretty, pretty amazing oh. when you do come home. And uh, man, have we got some stories around that? But we don't have time to share that today. So, look, Greg, I've actually I didn't know where this episode was going to go, but I've I've had fun. Uh, I'm learning a little bit more about you. Yeah, you know what? <laughs> like we've we've kind of poured our hearts out a bit today, and I guess once every couple of years we do an episode like this one. If you've benefited from this, like even just the heart sharing stuff, if you've liked it, if you've found it entertaining or whatever you've got from it. Probably all of those things. I'd actually appreciate <laughs> I'd actually appreciate you commenting on any of the channels that are available and letting us know. So just let us know because if something like this is helpful, maybe it might not have to be every two years that we wait until we do it. <laughs> that and also I really want to encourage you to, you know, we're about sharing and this podcast was created because we wanted to be able to impact people even if we're not working with them financially we want to be able to help people grow and the very name of our business oxano which is a greek biblical word means to cause to grow and become greater and we see our business we see our career as a mission we see it as something that we're here to do because it's a legacy that we're leaving and you listening to this right now you know wherever you are wherever you are in life whatever you're doing um we're here because of you. It's for the one, not the many. And I just want you to know that you're really important and we want to be able to, through you, have an impact. What I mean by that is I know that you have an impact to have. And by us simply being here and showing up, my hope is there's something that you can take away from this or from any of the training we do, whether you're inside of memberships or not, Whatever that looks like, I want to know that we're helping you to have the impact you're meant to have. And, you know, it's a ripple effect to me. You know, you drop a drop in the ocean and it has this ripple effect. The ripple effect is you. And I just really encourage you, please share this with somebody. If there's something in here that you think could impact somebody else, um, share it. 
you know, this podcast is here for free to be shared because at the end of the day, um, this is about that ripple effect. And, you know, if you can help us do that, then, then that's what we're here for. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for joining us today in my direct service. <laughs> You're the takeover. So, <laughs> all right, all right, all right, all right. I, say, I, didn't, I, I did want to wind you up, but I don't want to keep you wound up. I know. Up. Thank you so much for joining us today in our Direct Selling Accelerator podcast. We love you. Have a great rest of your day and bye for now. Bye for now, everyone. If you love this video and you would love more help to improve your direct selling business on social media, then click on the link to join our Facebook group. I look forward to seeing you in there.